Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're on episode 41. It's August 28th. I'm here, of course, with my co-host. My name's Tyler. I'm here with my co-host Pratik and Nick. Pratik, how are you doing today? I know it's a special day. It's your birthday tomorrow. How have you been feeling lately? Been feeling pretty good. It kind of sucks that I'm 26 now, but I guess that's how it is every year whenever someone gets older. But I'm excited. Um, today, I'm not going to be reading any of the stories. Tyler and Nick are. That's kind of like my birthday present because I feel kind of lazy. So, Nick, carry it forward. <laughs> Pratik, you know what? As much as I appreciate and enjoy the fact that we want to help you celebrate your birthday as best you can, I think it's funny that the thing that you actually enjoy a lot about the podcast is reading out the stories and what they are. <laughs> and for your birthday, you're like, you know what? Let me take a break from doing the things I like. Tyler, Nick, you go ahead. It's all you. New year, new Pratik. <laughs> so in any case, Pratik is being generous today. So we've got a great show lining up, lined up today, mostly involving Afghanistan. It's a very serious topic. One, we're starting with how Biden is maintaining his August 31st deadline for helping Americans and Afghanis flee from the Taliban-controlled nation. We're then going to pivot a little bit into how U.S. officials have been working with the Taliban and our Afghan allies. Then we're going to get to a bit of the airport and the refugees arriving in the United States. And we've also got some hurricane news for those in the South. So take a listen out for that. So starting with the first topic, we've got Biden and his August 31st deadline. How do you guys feel about this? Because on Tuesday, the U.S. President Joe Biden declared that he's sticking with the deadline for completing a risky airlift of Americans, endangered Afghans, and others seeking to escape Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Should he push this back and get more people out, or is this the right day to leave? Well, he, he's making such a mess of the situation already. This is him trying to reclaim some ground and say, look, by the deadline I stated, we were able to get these people out with minimal casualties, let's say. But we did recently have this Kabul airport attack, the suicide bombing. We're going to get into that in a little bit. There's been a lot of chaos going on. It would be nice to say, yeah, we're going to figure out the situation in just three days now. Um, I, I think it's pretty unlikely, unrealistic, given just the logistics of the situation. But I would love to see that. I mean, I, who wouldn't love to, to see everyone that is endangered in Afghanistan to be put out of risk? We throw them on an airplane, helicopters, whatever, get, of the, get them out of harm's way. Um, again, I'm just not very hopeful that that's the case, especially after blunders. Like, we're going to get into this later, but giving the Taliban uh, names of uh, the uh, U.S. troops and the Afghanis who helped us, that those all just seem like big blunders that are going to make this process slower, even though I know they wanted to get it done in just three days now. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm, I think that we need to try to get everybody out. I don't think that we need to be reliant on some deadline that we set with some terrorist organization that treats women like property and believes that we need to make, uh, that they need to make 14-year-old girls sex slaves. I don't think that we need to, you know, bow down to anybody like that. Plus, the fact is that if America really wanted to do anything to stop the Taliban, we could literally stop the Taliban. We're just being a bunch of wussies for no reason. So, like, my perspective is, is that, I mean, in terms of August 31st, we still have 15 1,500 Americans that are still there. I think they got 4,000 passport holders out of the country that they were able to evacuate from their airlift, but you still have 1,500 Americans there, and you have like a large percentage of the Afghan population that's fearing for their lives. They're trying to escape the country because they're not going to be able to, their kids are not going to be able to go to school. There's like, you know, there's chances that they won't really have any rights anymore. Like they're, I mean, they're going to have to wear these burqas and these hijabs and all this stuff on top of everything else. Like, you know, them not 
being able to at least live the lives that they used to live in terms of civil rights and being able to make their own decisions because the Taliban government is going to control them now. I don't think that we need to worry about all that stuff. And I mean, in terms of like, you know, of like how much money that we're spending there or how long is going to take because we need to help out all these people because that's what we've been doing for so long. We can't just reverse foreign policy because for some reason we didn't do anything to stop the Taliban, even though we knew they were taking over territory for the last three months. That's kind of dumb. Um, yeah, but, but, I don't know. But, but, that's but look, there's a there's a power vacuum here. And let's say we oust the Taliban tomorrow. That's great. But currently there's almost a civil war going on between other militant Islamic groups um, that are, are not the Taliban and are sometimes more extreme than the Taliban. So who's going to swoop in and replace them, let's say, if we do topple the Taliban? It seems like we're in the exact same situation we were in before. Are we going to set up another crony, uh, just a, a government that we want in place and hope hope it works by keeping troops there? It seems like that's inevitably going to fall apart again. No, but one thing I would say is um, with ISIS-K and Taliban, if you're comparing them, Taliban is a government now. ISIS-K is a bunch of terrorist people that are like trying to bomb certain things. Now, obviously, I don't think that we need to really be comparing the Taliban and ISIS-K because they're all terrorists. I mean, you're just trying to pick and choose which one's a better terrorist and which one's more legitimate or not. But, but that's my point. If, we're if you're going to have one or the way, other. If we're going out of our way to bomb ISIS-K, why don't we go out of our way to kill off all the Taliban leaders itself? Because we can kill them off in a drone strike if we really feel like it. We're just continuing on doing this stupid stuff because we're like, we're tired and fed up of the situation and we want to leave. There's no reason to why America is folding to the Taliban apart from them just being tired of the situation and wanting to leave. And that's not the best way to go about it, especially when you still have 1,500 Americans in that area and you got all these other Afghanis that were literally working with us in like, fighting for fighting for us that are now basically just being abandoned and basically getting a slap on the face just because we're like all right screw you guys we don't really care anymore we just we're trying to give you guys hope but screw that situation let's just leave now because we feel like it and we already botched the situation enough so let's just botch it a little bit more by leaving well let's be clear the afghanis who fought for us are being killed door to door by the taliban I mean, Pratik, you mentioned that we're a bunch of wusses for not doing anything with them. I don't think that's the case. I think we're in a crappy situation right now. I will certainly criticize the Biden administration for how they've handled this and the spot we're in right now. But given where we are today, I do think that we need to work with the Taliban in some way. When you look at that airport, it is a, it's literally located in the middle of the city. Not in the middle of the city, but it's in a major metropolitan area. It was not designed like Bagram Air Force Base with actual defensive points and checkpoints. It is in a city. It is a crowded space. You've got millions of people living in Kabul. And so if the Taliban is in charge and they've got their weapons trained on the civilians, sure, it was ISIS-K that was the issue right now. So it's sort of like, hey, Taliban, you got to guarantee some safety. I, it's not cool that you're letting ISIS-K do this. If you're in charge, you know, you sort of have to guarantee that we can get our people out because that's our agreement with each other. I, again, it's you have a bunch of civilians in an open-air space where they're very much at risk, and it is tragic that U.S. service members, 13 of them, did die, and I know we're going to get to that a bit later, and 90 Afghanis as well in that attack, let's not forget, but I ultimately do think that we're not wusses for this and that it's just a reflection of the reality of the situation, which is that the Taliban is in control of the city. This is a major metropolitan area, and if we suddenly go to war with them again and start to do drone strikes— how are they going to retaliate? 
And your whole point to we have to do what's best to help out the people of Afghanistan who are trying to flee the country, us assassinating Taliban leaders will only bring more death and misery to the Afghans we're trying to help. I mean, look, if America really wanted to solve the situation, we'd just go back, kill all these people and get on with it through, do, through some drone strikes, put like at least a thousand or two thousand more troops in that area. And we'd be able to be in the same exact situation that we were in before all this stuff even happened. Thing is, that's a very simple approach. We don't think do things simply like, again, I just think that it's kind of random how like, you know. Back in that time, whenever Trump was there, we were like, oh, we're not aggressive. And I mean, we're too aggressive on certain things, but we're not like fighting for what's right. And we're not, you know, trying to maintain our troop presence in Taliban. We're kind of moving away from the nation building process. This is what the Democrat people were saying back then whenever Donald Trump was in power. And Donald Trump was viewed as an isolationist to some extent. Now, the irony is that Biden is literally carrying forward the same exact plans that Trump had. However, Trump had the plan. Plans. Biden executed the plans and it all failed and went miserably. And my point is that we also right now we're going to talk about this as well. Like when the drone strikes happen, like the Taliban people that when we when we bombed the ISIS-K people, the Taliban people are like, we need to be informed about this and we're opposed to the U.S. attacks and all this stuff. It's like, dude, these are terrorist people. We're literally legitimizing a terrorist organization because we don't want to do anything to piss off a terrorist organization. It doesn't sound like America, regardless of whether like, you know, we can debate the morality of whether something is right or wrong, whether we need to, you know, legitimize a government that has taken over a country that's all fair we could debate that stuff all day but we don't really need to be told by some terrorist organization that literally we can beat in like two weeks if you really wanted to go to war with these people what we should do and what we shouldn't do especially when they literally go against literally all the values that americans hold dear in terms of democracy the literally half the stuff that we've been fighting for for the last 20 30 40 years anywhere we go around the world that is the taliban that's what we're fighting against. But we're literally folding to them because we're just tired of being in a country. And I think that's the wrong reason to leave. If you leave because you're like, all right, a government is set up, blah, 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 blah. Like if this government was strong, if this wasn't the Taliban government and if we had a solid standard government that we set up, that'd be different. But the well, fact we is tried. that we're literally... Isn't that the whole point? We, we, we are in this situation years, because we thought we had gotten to that point and in 10 days... They were able to wipe that out completely and the Taliban took over. I don't know if we can ever get... I, we've had this conversation before. I'm just not yeah. sure we get to a point where it's like, over how many years do we need to stay there to ensure there's a government that's able to maintain this kind of status quo? I don't even know if that's a possibility. It's like a what if. It's like a hope and a dream that we never seem to ever get to. So it, it's just... Uh, I don't know. All I know it's, is it's, I feel bad for all the people that are going to die because America decided that we were going to ditch the place. And I feel like we could debate the merits on whether we should have got involved or not. Like, we would all three disagree. I feel like I'd be on the side that we should have got involved anyway. Y'all would say, I mean, Tyler would say that we shouldn't have and Nick would be somewhere in the middle. But I feel like in the end of the day, we could debate that merit all day long. But because we were there and because we basically had a responsibility toward these people... We can't just leave them and go, especially when they're in harm's need, because those people were with us the whole time. The thing is, there's so, been so many American service people that have died in Afghanistan, okay? It sounds horrible, it sounds bad, and that these people have died. But these people died for something. 
whether or not we agree with the merits for why they died or like whether we think that they shouldn't have died because this was a stupid war etc etc that's a different matter but a lot of these people already died in this area okay so though we already owe an obligation to those people that laid their life for america along with that we have an obligation to those other people that are in afghanistan that were relying on american security that they would be able to live their lives peacefully without any you know having to worry about them their government coming in and kidnapping their girls and making them sex slaves I mean, that's a very grotesque image, but that's the image that these people are imagining whenever they're thinking about what's going to happen to them tomorrow. Obviously, they're going to be freaked out and scared and wanting to leave the country. If anyone was living in Afghanistan, they wouldn't want to be in Afghanistan right now because they know what's going to happen to them. So I think that the fact is that we worry, we talk about all this humanitarian causes. We talk about solving things like climate change and helping out everybody and helping out the poor and feeding the needy and all this yada, 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 great stuff. But the fact is that in this situation, these people that are going to suffer, that are going to be poor, that are going to be needy, that are literally going to be treated like property is all because America decided to abandon them. Like, whether or not that's the right answer or the wrong answer that people are looking for, that's the fact of how it is. Like, you know, it sounds horrible, and it doesn't mean that, like, you know, our agreement, we might not agree on all this stuff, but that's why I feel like America does have an obligation. And it may not be the best answer to be like, all right, we need to be here for a longer period of time and be here for another three, four months, but... The fact is that if all these people are going to potentially be persecuted, we can't just let them be persecuted because we didn't feel like being there for another two, three months when we literally could have been there. I, I think we could have been there for another few months, but I think at some point we would have needed to have gone out. The one maybe point I do want to, the one, the one point I want to go back to and make though is because you basically said since we had all these soldiers die, we owe it to them to bring back some sort of success, but. I think that's kind of like a sunk cost fallacy. Like just because you put in that many troops doesn't mean that we won't have to put in that many troops again. And then for what? What if we never reach that goal? That's what I fear. I, I, look, you make good points. If you believe that the U.S. should be the world police and that we should really be in all these places helping everyone that is persecuted to some degree, I understand. But then it gets into a question of who's persecuted enough to deserve our attention. We, we went into this place for ulterior motives other than these people were suffering under the government terrorist organizations. Those happen all the time, all over the world. For sure, if we were still there today, they would be in a better situation than they are right now. But at some point, the Band-Aid would have had to have been ripped. And although I'm really against how this whole situation has been managed, how the Biden administration has handled this whole, this whole mess, even saying we need to get people out by this day, I think it's been, been unrealistic. But to say we, we really couldn't do that or that couldn't have been done at any point, I don't think is necessarily correct. And you're saying two or three months. What changes? Like what fundamentally would be so different that at that point? The only thing that changes is you can get all the people that want to leave out of the country. What is the Taliban going to do? I, and I agree, I agree America. with that. That's fair. Okay. What, what does it mean when Taliban threatens America? They've been threatening America for the last 20 years. The only reason they really got the chance to take over anything is because we all left. So they're like, oh, America's not there anymore. Now we can take over whatever we want. But the thing is that we have, I mean, if we're, our whole objective now is to save as many people as possible. We need to save as many people as possible. And the fact is that it's not going to happen in the next three days. 
Like, there's so many people still stuck there. I, I agree. There's so many Americans yeah. still stuck there. All right, forget about if you're like, all right, well, I'm not a globalist. I want to only protect the Americans. Half the American people that are still there are not going to be able to get out. Like, forget about all these other situations. And then they have all these refugees lined up trying to come into America because they're like, we're going to die if we're still stuck here. Like, the thing is that, yeah, sure, sometimes you feel like all these other countries that are around the world, they're a bunch of wussies too. What is America? What has Britain done? What has France done? All these people are just jokes sitting there just acting like, all right, once America's out of there, then, you know, we're going to get out too. Because if America's not there, then there's no reason for us to be there. That's my fake British and French voice. But, um, <laughs> Critique, I mean... the UK, the UK <laughs> got to work on that a little bit. <laughs> we invoked, what was it, Article 5 of NATO or whatever. Um, that's why the UK ended up being there. You say, what have they done so far? They've evacuated over 15,000 Afghan refugees up to this point. Britain has done something at the very least and the parliament <laughs> yeah, is actually very gung-ho on this like maybe, as far maybe as... i'm wrong a little bit but my point is that i mean we have to look at it in terms of the humanitarian perspective and when it comes to these kind of things because yeah sure like again you know my opinion i think we should be involved in almost every place where the people are literally suffering because their government's like killing them because the people themselves can't fight for themselves because they don't have any monopoly to power the government controls all their weapons if they speak out against the government they literally get put to death like that's a stupid life situation that none of us would rather want to be in like you have to think about it in that philosophical way what would you do if you were in that place like i mean and what would you do if you were that person if you were that person sitting in syria if you were that person sitting in afghanistan what would you want for other people to do to try to help you out and improve your situation the fact is that if america doesn't do something then like none of these other countries are going to get on board but i mean it's good great that britain is doing stuff now but i mean in the fact the fact is that america has to be the bastion if we're not the bastion then nothing's ever going to change people in syria are still going to die because of assad people in afghanistan are still going to die because of the taliban isis is probably going to take over the middle east as soon as we leave all our troops there and like i mean and this is the end of sad situation it's never really going to get better from the way it is it's going to be all like north korea where their government literally controls everybody's lives and if you speak out against them you're dead and i mean that's the saddest approach. That's the worst way to go about it. And that's a bunch of money you're going to spend going into waste. But the fact is that we're all human beings. And whether you're American or whether you're Korean or whether you're Egyptian, they all, we're all literally the same person. We just live in a different country. But look, I, I can understand the humanitarian argument. I understand no one should suffer. No one should be killed. No one should be persecuted. But we live in a very dangerous world that's not perfect. A lot of imperfect people, a lot of imperfect institutions, and you can't save everything. And maybe you could. One day, hopefully, we'll get there. I don't think we're at that point yet. And every time, I've seen, every time throughout history, civilizations have gotten too broad and expanded too wide, they collapse because there's just too much ground to cover. You can't control everything without, let's say, maybe a one world government, which I don't think we're close to. So until we get to that point, I don't think there should be situations where we do intervene for sure. But to say every time someone's being persecuted by their government, it's up to the U.S. to stop it and flip that around. I don't know if that is even I don't, possible, I don't think even though I would always, love that to be the case. I don't think it's always up to the U.S., but I think U.S. is always the ones that do anything about it. Like, I feel like we kind of became the global hegemon as it is, but we also took on this responsibility, not because, like, you know, we were, like, we were 
like told that we have this responsibility is because no one else takes on the responsibility. Like if something is happening anywhere around the world, whether there's a tsunami or a hurricane, if there's like some mass ethnic genocide or something going on, it's not like China is stepping in. They're like, all right, we need to help out these people and take them to safety. I mean, with Britain and France, yeah, sure, they do some stuff, but they do it after America starts. That's my point is that, yeah, I feel like, you know, the argument Tyler's making is correct in many ways for only one reason is that America is always the one stepping in and going forward and doing stuff. If America wasn't there, the whole world would fall apart, literally, not because of any, any other reason, just because America is not doing is not the one stepping forward and trying to stop it. And I think that's like a very Americanized approach. And maybe that's why I'm very pro-America. But I'm more pro-America because no one else is willing to do anything. When something bad is happening, we all just sit there and watch for that other person to make a move because until they make a move, we don't want to, you know, get our hands dirty. And I mean, if you make an argument that America screwed up in different places all around the world whenever we got involved, the fact is at least we got involved. If America didn't get involved, those people would have died anyway. Like, I mean, that's the saddest way, saddest approach. And sure, I feel like I'm like, you know, like, you know, dehumanizing the situation. But my point is that that's that's kind of the sad reality of it is that it's either America or you're dead. And I mean, like, I mean, if America doesn't step up, it, they're screwed anyway. If America steps up and it doesn't go well, they're screwed anyway. So America should step up. And if not America, somebody else should take his place because, you know, it's not like it's just America's controlling the world. There's a bunch of other countries in the world. So Pratik, you mentioned getting our hands dirty. Um, I'd actually like to touch on that and actually talk about how to proceed with this because it, I think we've sort of covered, you know, the basis of, or at least the principles of how this is going to play out. But what about the practical on the ground situation? So how do you, I think, Pratik, I think we're pretty clear on how you feel about U.S. officials providing the Taliban with names of Americans and Afghan allies, where in Kabul, they gave the Taliban a list of them, both U.S. citizens, green card holders, and Afghan allies, um, so that they could get entry into the Taliban-controlled outer perimeter of the city's airport, which, again, as I mentioned, is where all these people are coming out of. Bagram Air Force Base is lost long ago. So Pratik, I think we're pretty clear on your point. Tyler, how do you feel about the situation of the U.S. actually providing the Taliban the, the names of Americans, green card holders, and our Afghan allies? Well, I'm not sure it's much different than Pratik's point. It's, it was just a terrible blunder to do. I think when President Biden was asked about the situation, he said, oh, I don't know any specifics. I don't really know what's going on. But someone in the top level, the top chain of command, gave the orders to give this information to the Taliban the reason they did it was to say, hey, we need to get these people through these checkpoints to the airport so we can save them. And to do that in the fastest way possible is to simply give the name so that they're allowing these people to come in and like fly to whatever country is safe for them to be in. But what happens is, especially, not even necessarily with the U.S. citizens, but especially with the Afghanis that helped out the United States during this huge war, you're going to have maybe not the Taliban officially, you're going to have militants, you're going to have a lot of people that are very angry at the Afghans that helped the West. This, there was a large war that just went on for 20 years. Do you think they're going to forgive it overnight? Absolutely not. And we just gave up their privacy, their safety, really a lot of the hope they had to escape. And I know we're going to continue trying to get these people out, but I really fear for those Afghanis, their lives, 
I'm not quite sure what they'll do. Tal Taliban now has official names of everyone that was supposed to be let free, and a lot of those people are not going to end up making it, and it all comes down to the military command and ultimately, I guess, Biden, the Biden administration. I don't know if Biden directly gave the orders, but I'm sure he had to approve it to some degree. That's a big decision to make. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, to be honest. I don't understand. Like, to your point, U.S. citizens, I think, are pretty safe at this point. But for the Afghan allies, if you're known as a collaborator and a traitor, well, you're not exactly a traitor to the Taliban, but they're going to see you as the enemy. I Again, it just seems like a very, very dangerous thing to be doing um, on that front. So, But let's assume that the Biden administration, let's assume that that actually works out and people do get to the airport. What about the security at the airport? So, Pratik... The Department of Defense identified that 13 U.S. service members died in an attack outside of the Kabul airport on Thursday. The suicide bombing also killed scores of Afghans, at least 90, and left 18 U.S. service members wounded. How do you feel about the fact that ISIS-K was sort of allowed to carry this out by the Taliban, who essentially is the ruling government as much as we may not like it? Um, and then I, I suppose also what's your reaction to the Taliban spokesperson then coming out and saying, you know, we're very upset that the United States did not tell us that they would be, uh, you know, executing this drone strike to kill two ISIS-K members who planned and uh, actually carried out this attack on the civilians and U.S. service members. I think that the fact that there were people that died, there were 13 service members that died and there was a bunch of Afghanis that died because of this attack. I mean, the fact that America is getting attacked, you have to do something about it. Okay. I mean, like, the, I mean, like, if this was any other situation and Americans were killed because of some, you know, attack that happened, America has to respond in some way, shape or fashion. Sure, it's great that we did drone strike these people. I think it's stupid that the Taliban is like trying to tell us that we should have told them because this all happened under their watch basically. So I think, I mean, my short perspective, again, I feel like I've repeated the same thing over and over again to some extent, but America should have done more to prevent this kind of situation from happening. But the fact is that because Americans died in this attack, we have to hold whoever did it responsible. And I know that there's people on both sides of the aisle calling for Biden's impeachment and all this stuff on this, all that stuff. I think that's a little bit out of whack. Like, I don't want to go down that pathway. But I think that you need to hold... The, our government responsible and hold their government responsible and if the taliban is like you know their so-called legitimate government if people are dying under their watch and including american people then we need to hold them accountable that's why i'm saying we shouldn't have just draw uh, you know drone strike them we should have taken action against the taliban if the taliban wants us out and they're like trying to you know trying to make it so trying to show that they're the legitimate government and you know they're the right people in charge yada 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 even though we all know that they're not then we need to take action. But the fact is that we only took action against ISIS-K, which is great, but we need to take actions against both parties. Because to me, like, ISIS-K is a terrorist organization. The Taliban is a terrorist organization. They both have the same exact objectives and goals in mind. The only difference is that we know the Taliban are really bad because at one point they were the government in that area. And they have certain goals and things laid out. ISIS-K are just a fragmented group of people that are, you know, kind of formed into together to become the new ISIS per se. But either way, like, I think it's bad either altogether. And we need to take action against both parties because it didn't just happen because of ISIS-K. 
It happened because whoever was responsible for the airport, and the airport was under the charge of the Taliban. So we need to take action against the Taliban too. Why are we waiting? Because we want to get out, and we don't want this whole thing to start over for the next 20 years. And that's the whole debate going on. But, you know, we already know our thought process on that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so they, Tyler, they, what's they your thoughts? They took control of the government, but weren't able to properly secure the area. They are technically the dominant government, but like you said, there's all these countergroups, ISIS-K, what have you, that are going to be in this power vacuum looking for a way to gain their edge. And making this process not as seamless as possible for the Taliban, for the U.S. to leave, is to their, their advantage. They want the Taliban to look bad in this whole situation. Like, the United States, all this going on, even if ISIS-K does get bombed, they win and make it in disrupting the, our, um, our leaving Afghanistan. I understand why we bombed them. I think it was a good thing to bomb them. But I, this is just an inevitable outcome of, look, we had a government that we propped up, didn't survive, and now we have several factions that are trying to gain power in this region. Yeah, it's a power vacuum. It's a shitty situation. But I just want to briefly mention the names of the U.S. troops that ended up dying in this Kabul airport attack incredibly sad i feel like they should at least be recognized um so here here are their names they were all in the marine corps we had staff sergeant darren t hoover we had sergeant johnny rosario picardo uh, sergeant nicole l gee corporal hunter lopez corporal dagan w page corporal humberto a sanchez uh, lance corporal david l espinoza Lance Corporal Jared M. Schmitz, uh, Lance Corporal Riley J. McCullum, Lance Corporal Dylan R. Marola, and Lance Corporal Kareem M. Nikui. And those are the names. Maybe we could just take a brief moment of silence for those guys. And with that, I mean, I don't have too much to add to what you said. I agree with you. It's just, man, the situation we're in is terrible. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on this before we move on? No, I think, you know, a lot of the people who, I mean, let's be real. Some of the people who died are 20 this year. Um, some of the Lance Corporals that you mentioned towards the bottom of that list, they were 20 on the dot. This war started the year they were born. That should have some gravity to it, where a critique to your point, yes, they're we should get out of the country and we, we should have done a much better job of having a comprehensive pullout from the country or withdrawal from the country. But it really does just go to show how much uh, we say America's forever war, but that's, that's, what's crazy. Like think of all the Gen Z kids growing up right now. These people are Gen Z. They're 20. Uh, the fact that they've been sucked into this war and died on the other side of the world in some godforsaken desert really just shows you how, long we've been at war and sort of the cost in very real terms of pulling out and honestly as i do think this is awful but i think it could be a lot worse um i think it could be a whole lot worse so um to that i guess to bridge out of that one um let's talk about the people who have actually made it through so we've mentioned a little bit about how you know Great Britain, for example, airlifted 15,000 refugees to go over to the UK. I shouldn't say Great Britain. It's not England and Scotland anymore. Wales is actually added in there a little bit in Northern Ireland, too. I'm sure they wouldn't want to be forgotten. Um, <laughs> but so the Afghan refugees arriving to the United States, what's the situation there? 
So Tucker Carlson did a segment on how we're not properly vetting refugees coming to the United States. He said that one of them has actually been found to be on a terror watch list and that there's a big risk involved. Pratik, how do you feel about this? See, this is this is where I break with my party. I remember this stuff going on, the Syrian refugee crisis. It's great to, like, you know, be able to vet everybody and make sure who's coming in and make sure who's not good and make sure who is good and all this stuff. But that's, like, one of those things where you can't factor all that stuff in. Like, what are you going to do if this person is not the right person that they say are? You're going to deport them back to Afghanistan? And the fact is that that all sounds great on paper, but there's so much trivials and so many issues going on on that side of the world. There's people that are literally dying over there, and plus, there's like a whole line for people trying to come to the United States. I don't really think it's the right time right now to start picking choosing Af like Afghanis that are trying to leave the country. Because it sounds great that, you know, we need to make sure who comes in our borders and who doesn't and all this stuff. But we have issues like this stuff going on in America all the time. We don't know half the people that are in this country that are illegal immigrants. We don't know, like, what's going on over there. We don't know, like, you know, how many people are living off, living in sanctuary cities. We don't know any of that stuff. But that stuff still exists. But why worry about this situation when there's literally a terrorist organization called the Taliban that is literally going to murder half their population that they didn't like? Because I mean, as soon as America leaves, we don't need to be worrying about things like that. Right now, we need to have worry about the bigger goal, which is trying to get as many Afghan refugees into our country as possible that are trying to flee just so we can make sure that they don't die. And these people were fighting alongside us, helping us, supporting us, translating for us we can't literally just let just abandon them because you know we decided that we wanted to follow the law at some point i think it's stupid that you know we don't do all this stuff all the time but right now is not really the best time to worry about all the trivial little things yeah i mean i i think you said it best i don't have too much to add to it we're in a crisis when you have a crisis that let's say you caused for the most part not that we caused the entire mess in all of Afghanistan and all these terrorist groups, but we had involvement in leaving. And because of our leaving, there are implications, there are repercussions for that. And we have to take accountability, if nothing else, for the people that we displaced, that we endangered. And sure, maybe we can't be there with all our troops, but at least bringing in some refugees. Maybe we don't have the perfect vetting process. We should do the best job we can. But those are the kind of people, and this is kind of the situation where I think we should just look at ourselves, our values, and say, who do we want to be? Do we want to help people that we inevitably help displace? Or do we want to say, sorry, tough, you're out of luck in this situation? I think that uh, like you shouldn't necessarily deal in every situation with emotion, but we caused this uh, like part of the situation to happen, and we should deal with the outcome. And if that means we take in a certain number of refugees, I think that we should definitely do that. And I think that there would be a lot of people that like, you know, would make an argument. I mean, it's a fair counter argument, but I don't think it's the right counter argument, which is going to be like, all right, when we bring all these people in, what are we going to do? How are we going to house them? How are we going to shelter them? What is going to be their next process? Like, how are the states going to handle this stuff? That's all great, but you need to worry about that stuff. When is the right time to worry about that stuff? It's one of those things where it's like, it sounds like a wrong answer, but there, you don't go into a situation like that right now worrying about the future possibilities like, you know, two, three months down the road was going to happen. You should, but every time calls for that, you know, situation where you have to think about what's going to be the next steps. Right now, the primary step that we need to worry about is saving as many people as we can before they're literally put to death. 
And I think that's the approach we need to go about it. And then we need to go from there. I think the problem is that the people that are usually always against this process of trying to take in as many refugees, which it always is also a bipartisan issue. Okay, all these things are bipartisan issues. This whole Afghanistan crisis is the most bipartisan issue that I've ever seen in my life because Republicans <laughs> are split, Democrats are split, the people in the middle are split. Even within those people that are split, there's different reasons to why they're split. And this is one of those things that when it comes to any refugee crisis, we always have the same anti-argument for the refugees. Like, how are you going to house them? How are you going to shelter them? Where, where are they going to go? Who's going to take them? And I think that's all great to worry about. But you need to worry about that stuff step by step. And I don't think that right now is the best time to, you know, worry about all that stuff because right now we just need to save as many people as we can. So Pratik, I know you hate thinking about the future, but this uh, does, I think, segue <laughs> I'm not nicely. Saying that, into... but, oh, yeah. please, on previous episodes, I know it's your birthday, but I got to beat up on you a little bit here. In previous episodes, you're like, we should only care about the present. The future does not matter. Like, the world might not exist tomorrow. Does matter. <laughs> and then we, we always go back and forth. But um, So it's, hey, we're consistent. We're consistent in our beliefs. That's good. But I do want to talk. So we're talking about the Afghan refugees. I think all of us are pretty much in agreement there that we should be doing as much as we possibly can. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about internal refugees in this country right now. Um, something that people may not be thinking about is the fact that hurricanes have been really creaming us the past couple of years. We had Harvey, Maria, we had Florence, we had Irma. We've had a bunch. 2017 was one of the most high-cost hurricane events, hurricane years in our country's history. We had over 2,900 people dying because of Hurricane Maria, actually. It was a terrible tragedy what happened in Puerto Rico, which is one of the U.S. territories. And I just wanted to draw a little bit of attention to this. Um, Pratik, I know you love to talk about hydrocarbons, so uh, more than 80 oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico have been evacuated, and half of the region's oil and gas output has been suspended. So, uh, hey, remember we were having that conversation earlier about how OPEC shouldn't be doing anything? Uh, hey, good thing they're doing a little bit, because now we've just shut down a lot of our production in the United States because of these storms. But in any case, um, experts say that if a storm surge hits at the right time, and this is a Category 3 hurricane that's coming in and touching down in uh, Louisiana. In fact, the governor of Louisiana is saying that it's one of the worst hurricanes that is expected to hit Louisiana, the strongest storm since the 1850s. It's been over 150 years, 170 years since we've seen something like this. So if anything like Hurricane Katrina is something to go by, that cost was about $125 billion. Same thing with Hurricane Harvey that hit Texas in 2017, caused a massive, massive issue. I think this storm has terrible potential to actually force a lot of people out of their homes into temporary housing status. And I, I know it's a little bit of a stretch to call it a refugee situation, but that's essentially what it's gonna be like where you have to get all these state governments and local governments involved in making sure that these people have a safe place to shelter where, you know, I, I don't know how long this storm is projected to last, but Harvey lasted 117 hours. That is insane. So we just need to focus on what's going on at home sometimes and wanted to bring that in. Um, Pratik Tyler, what do you think about how, I guess, uh, we've handled hurricanes in the past? And I don't want to, you know, be the climate boogeyman here because, of course, it's still unclear. BBC News notes that, you know, while the impact of climate change on frequency of storms is still unclear, increased 
Sea surface temperatures warm the air above and make more energy available to drive hurricane cyclones and typhoons. As a result, they're more likely to be more intense with more extreme rainfall. And this also gets back just to the last thing on my soapbox. Um, as much as I disliked President Trump's approach on immigration, I do think that it had a valid, valid reason in the future, which I know Pratik hates, but in the future, which is if you're projecting out all of these climate refugees as a result of you know rising rising sea levels warming temperatures reducing arable land in places like bangladesh where we already have hundreds of thousands of farmers sort of relocating and having issues with their crops um, right now today so 30 years from now what is that going to look like and how does the united states and other countries how should we sort of handle a lot of these refugees who are going to be coming from small island nations where it's not just the fact that the seawater is going up when sea level water rises, it actually intrudes into aquifers, which is where we get a lot of our drinking water from. If you get salt water in your drinking water, everyone should know this. If you're going out to sea, you're taking a nice splash in the ocean, do not drink that salt water. It is not good for you. You will not feel great. But in any case, this Thank is a you, little Nick. winded. Public hey, service dude, PSA, Don't PSA. drink salt water. <laughs> but no, I mean, how do you guys feel about this? Because oftentimes, both Republicans and Democrats alike get criticized time and time again for how they handle these hurricane situations. I don't think there's ever a way to win. I mean, it's an act of God. It's Mother Nature saying, hey, you know, screw you, Louisiana. It's been 150 years. Time for you to get another one. But I don't know. What do you think? I, well, of I don't know about that. I think, remember Hurricane Sandy with Obama, the fact that his approvals went way up and it helped him win the presidency after how he handled the situation. So I think it can turn out okay politically, but it's going to be a travesty regardless. Here's the thing, Nick. You asked a question that you're best suited to answer, so I'll try my best. Well, here, okay. no. All right, well, let me amend it. <laughs> do you think that this will take sufficient pressure off of Biden on Afghanistan if he handles this well domestically? It no. definitely could. People have short-term me memory. We're all voters with amnesia. If something great happens a month before the election, I think a lot of people will be willing to say, hey, do I really I need guess. Trump back in office if Trump's running again? Oh, this Biden, like, he handled, he mishandled this situation. But look, we had a hurricane. It wasn't that terrible. That could be, you know, maybe he's maybe he's got his stuff together. That was just one mishap that happened earlier on in his presidency. I think it for sure affects the midterms regardless. But, like, as far as the presidential election goes, I think there are many things that could come in between now and then that, that could change people's minds. I don't think voters are as long-term and long uh, thinking as they think they are necessarily. So, yeah, I don't think that things can't change moving forward. I do think, though, when it comes to hurricanes, it usually increases the approval of the president or whoever is the power in charge inside that state and surrounding states to that state. So the benefit that happened with Obama was whenever the Benghazi stuff took place, New Jersey is a really large Democratic voting bloc. New Jersey, New York, any of those yeah. New England states. So if there was any of those people that were like pissed off at the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton, but basically the Obama administration on how they handled that stuff, those people were, you know, kind of, they've kind of forgot about it because of this hurricane thing, like Tyler said. The problem with this situation is this is happening in the South. Sure, Louisiana's governor is a Democrat. I mean, Louisiana is one of those states they always try to think about, it's like, oh, it's a red wing nut job state. But Louisiana is a Democratic governor. 
So, I mean, like, sure, to some extent, it might have some impact, but the problem is that many of those states in general that surround Louisiana generally vote Republican. So, I think that it depends on however how you view situations. Someone that's a Republican is more likely to be more worried about foreign policy situations, more so than flood handling but if you are in that situation and you are in the flood or if you are in the hurricane you're going to have some different approaches obviously but if you're kind of somewhat close to it but it doesn't impact you you're not going to be like heavily influenced by it if that makes sense i was just trying to give my political analysis but it does although there are plenty of things out there saying that george w bush kind of had his career tanked um, yeah, or at yeah, least his political influence after Katrina and how he mismanaged that. And that was in Louisiana. That is in yeah, actually, yeah. this is the, what is it? The 16th anniversary anniversary yeah. of Hurricane Katrina is going to be when Hurricane Ida, the one that's hitting tomorrow, um, that's the 16th anniversary. <laughs> and that killed more than 1,800 people. It was a whole thing where, you know, you know the pictures yeah, of like yeah, all yeah. the buses that they had and they just completely whiffed the whole thing. You know, remember, and that's um, my point exactly, though. But that's what I'm trying to say is that Louisiana in that area is a Republican area. So that impacted Bush because it wasn't handled well. Now, Storm Sandy, that's a Democrat area where all that stuff happened. Storm Sandy, they thought was, you know, they they thought Chris Christie and Obama handled it pretty well. So Chris Christie got reelected because of that. Sure, the presidential election and all that stuff kind of threw Christie apart. But before that, Christie was really popular governor in the state. So I think that it all depends. Like even Bobby Jindal, for example, like he wasn't well loved during the govern during the Katrina situation because of how it was handled. But I think all that stuff it depends on the political atmosphere of the area. And I think when it comes to Louisiana, if Biden doesn't handle it well, it's not necessarily going to sway any more voters to the Republican side because most people, have, most of those people are probably already Republicans that are anti-Biden. Now, if there is some kind of if there are some Democrats in that area, I mean, Louisiana may have a lot of Democrats. They have a Democratic governor, but they have like Republicans throughout all their other seats. So I think it all depends on the situation. But I think that if this was in the north, it would have more of an impact on the presidential situation, more so than it being in the south. Forgetting about what's going on in Afghanistan, just looking at this situation and how it's handled. I don't think that Biden handles it badly. It will have much impact on his voting polls. I don't think if Biden handles it really well, it will have much impact, but it will have more positive impact if he handles it well. But the question is how much? I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you remember uh, remember that situation during Katrina? They were doing some kind of drive with uh, Mike Myers and Kanye West, and Kanye West called George Bush racist, racist for not helping out. That's something that could affect it. Like, they go, Biden, you're racist. You didn't help us out enough. So that could be one example of a political... How many, how Tyler, many African-Americans Kanye do you think are going to vote against Yay. Biden? Yeah, yeah. Well, us- Pratik, it's the issue of not voting. That's what killed Hillary Clinton's race in That's 2016 was that people stayed home and didn't vote. It's not a matter of them voting for Trump or yeah. anyone else. It's just the fact mm-hmm. that they didn't vote because they didn't feel motivated enough to say, hey, this person is my best interest in mind. They were like, screw that. I'm just going to stay home. You're right. Yeah, but that you were also sense. making the point that uh, Kanye West did, in fact, change his name. He legally filed his name to be Ye, Y-E. That, that's his first and last name. So just so you guys know, a little entertainment news for you you guys. Uh, yeah, Kanye is now Ye. And his, and his kids' names are Northwest and Southwest, I think. Something it's just like North. that. Yeah, he so loves North. directions. 
and Kim Kardashian is no longer his wife, probably because he changed his name to Yay. We don't know. No, this is after the <laughs> We, we do know, and it's probably a result of the divorce. <laughs> Never mind. <Yeah. laughs> He's going through some stuff, but in any case, yeah. He oh has a God. new album now, though. Yeah, he had DaBaby on stage. He had uh, Marilyn Manson, I think, on stage. That was super bizarre, um, <laughs> especially because DaBaby His recently had the now. DaBaby had the homophobic comments, and then uh, Marilyn Manson was accused of. I, I think it had something to do with underage girls. So, in any case, just yeah. not the best people to bring up on stage when you're releasing an album. Maybe it gives you a little bit more notoriety. Maybe he knows the situation better than we do, but. In any case, man, we've turned all the way from Afghanistan to talking about Kanye West and his, well, I guess, yay, and his new album. We'll go back to the hurricane questions that you were asking, though. So you were asking about what we think, I mean, this impact is going to have. Could you explain me your question again? No, yeah, just whether or not you thought, I I think we discussed most of it. um, And I really, really was just wondering, because look at Canada with Trudeau and the snap election that he caused. There's been a huge sort of uproar or a lack of confidence in him with how the government has handled the COVID situation. And look, I'm you can always handle it better in the rest of it. So I'm sure there's valid criticism. Um, and dub of him to call a snap election when he's not as strong as he really as his party thinks they are. Um, but I'm I guess I'm wondering. So in the United States, it's like what does Biden have going for him? Like we were talking about infrastructure for a ton on this show. And then all of a sudden, infrastructure doesn't matter anymore. No one cares about it. It's not something people are talking about. Now it's all about Afghanistan. And now it's going to be this next week, the hurricane response. And I guarantee you, Fox News is going to say, no, but yeah, still, yeah. still COVID as well. But I'm saying like, since you have these two negative things for Republican voters and others saying, hey, Biden administration, you should be doing more or you botched this or you're overstepping or you're corrupt or whatever. Then even if he does well on the hurricane response, I'm just wondering if it's enough. I think to your point, Pratik, you were saying it. I I think you described it very well, which is, hey, if if it was his voter base and he did really well in Louisiana, great. But look, it's not really his voter base. So if he does well, good. If he doesn't do well, they're going to be even more upset at him and even more incensed to vote Republican the next election. I would almost disagree. Like if it's as big a catastrophe as Katrina was, that nationwide people were shocked by that. I mean, I'm I'm from Connecticut. I was in Connecticut at the time. And I just remember how many drives went on, how many people spoke about it, like passionately. They were very... uh, very empathetic towards these people going through an awful, awful situation. So I think it'll affect a little more than just the surrounding areas, although it'll have a greater impact in those areas for sure. I think Pratik, though, final I mean, thought. So, all right, let me, let me explain. So you have two questions. So can we go through them? So when it comes to Katrina or when it comes to any hurricanes like that, I really don't think a president can handle it. Well, I'm going to be honest. It's all about perception. Like, even our governors are technically the ones handling it, right? Mm. So, like, I don't know. I've never been in a situation where you're like, man, that governor handled it perfectly. Like, there's always something that goes wrong. People are still going to get displaced. People are still going to die. It's still going to be a catastrophe. But it's, like, how it looks in terms of the media and how it's, like, perceived. And it's, like, weird because it's one of those things where it's a lose-lose no matter how what, what way you go about it. Like, there's no way that a governor has a hurricane and they're like, shoot, now my approval ratings are not going to be as high. It's going to go down. doesn't matter who it is. It can be, like, the greatest governor of all time. It could be Cuomo, the greatest governor of all time. Not. But, I mean, like, I mean, overall, I think when it comes to any of this stuff when it comes to biden it's the same issues that you had with trump 
right? In the end of the day, COVID approval, that's going to be a big influence. And in all honesty, I don't think that any president can handle COVID well. That's the reality of all this stuff. Like the argument was whenever Biden was running and I was like, you know, when this basically happened during Trump's presidential election year too. So it kind of hurt him a little bit with the COVID stuff, but like it just kind of hurt that, you know, this stuff was going on and he was going to run for president, like re run for re-election and all this stuff happened. But when it comes for Biden, it's going to be the same thing. Biden had all these promises about how, you know, Trump sucks at COVID and handling COVID and he's going to do it much better. I mean, he's handling it the same way Trump did. That's the sad reality of this stuff. Whenever Delta variant comes out, and if Delta variant is as bad as how COVID was, I mean, if Biden handles it the same way Trump handles it, it's going to influence Biden's voter base to be pissed. But the reality is that the Biden voter base will more than likely vote for Biden over not or over vote for Trump, or they might sit at home. The same is the situation with the Trump side. So I think when it comes to hurricanes, when it comes to COVID, when it comes to even Afghanistan, you're not going to have a bunch of Democrats start going to vote Republican. You're going to have a bunch of pissed off Republicans, but those people are probably going to vote for Trump or vote for the Republican candidate anyway. I mean, the fact is that you're basically debating how many people are going to go out and show up in the polls. And you're missing the argument that if these people were all pissed off about Trump and they were voting against Trump and that's how they voted for Biden, I mean, I don't think that Trump was that bad, but that's my person. That's my personal opinion. But if people think Trump is that bad and they're still going to go vote for Biden, Biden can go kill 10 people and they'll still go vote for him because they'll be like, he's still better than Trump. And I think that's the thing is that the people that are anti the president, they're always going to be anti the president. People that are pro the president will more than likely be either pro the president or be or not vote. But I don't think that they're going to vote the other way. So I think voting numbers really don't change that much whenever all this stuff happens. All it depends on is how much like, you know, voter turnout that you're going to get. And that's all just based around how many people were willing to go out and vote. And I think that the more and more things that happen is just going to piss off both sides. Like, right, you remember whenever Trump was there, people got all pissed off about random things that didn't really even matter. They were just pissed off because they're like, oh, Trump's there. Let's just get pissed off. I think in this situation, like, with Trump's whole thing, it was COVID. With Biden, right now, at least in his first year, we don't know his next three years. It might be worse. It might be better. Who knows? But, I mean, this has been his worst big catastrophe so far. And if he has two or three other catastrophes like this, it just depends on how pissed off Republicans are to go vote and how pissed off Democrats are not to not vote for Biden. Well yeah, said, Pratik. Sorry, I'm on my rant. I'm just trying to Not at all. I, hey, if anything, it's it's your birthday rant. You're allotted at least one a year. Exactly. Um, so we filled that up. But in any case, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. And I do want to actually call attention to just to tell people to be on the lookout. I'm sure in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be either some drives or, you know, if you've got kids in school, if you're in school yourself, there, there's probably going to be some stuff starting up with uh, people going back to classes after Labor Day in the Northeast, or you're already at school if you're in other parts of the country. But in any case, just wanted to call out that there's probably going to be some stuff with uh, hurricane relief for our fellow U.S. citizens. And, uh, you know, just keep an eye out for that stuff. And if you're down in that part of the country and listening to the podcast, turn us off right now, get in your car and drive somewhere safe. Um, 
or listen to us case, on the way somewhere else. Yeah, listen to us to listen to us on the way. Drive Don't give somewhere. them a reason to stop listening. What the hell? Uh, all right, good point, Tyler. Good point. <laughs> but no, really, um, always a pleasure talking with you guys, Tyler. Will you do the honors? Yeah, well, Pratik, we both just want to wish you a happy birthday. We're only an hour and a half away now. Happy birthday, Pratik. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode 41 of Politicana. Be sure to catch us next week, and that's all. Take care.